This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Will it take over? of a building on the Mulhewer National Wildlife Refuge in Burns, Oregon, be that crystallizing moment where that critical mass builds and a movement started by we the people to push back against this intrusive and overbearing federal government? I certainly hope so. Welcome to the program. We're going to spend the better part of this this whole segment today talking about this situation in, in Burns, Oregon. It's that important. And I'm hearing a lot of uh, hot air from presidential candidates and others, uh, pundits in the media, that are uh, blasting this group of uh, armed individuals that took over this building and uh, basically implying that they should uh, stand down I think it's an overreaction by the local law enforcement authorities there. They have schools closed. They have the whole area cordoned off and uh, tying up everything. They took over a school to set up a com- command post. I thought that was totally unnecessary for what's going on here. Uh, so far, nobody's been hurt. Let's hope that it ends that way. Um, but one of the things that I think is important in, in talking is you have to know the facts of this case. Everybody is talking, including these 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 um, talking heads and the presidential candidates that have no idea of the history of this area in this situation, because this has been going on for a very long time, basically uh, since 1964, when this uh, Hammonds family purchased their ranch in the Harney Basin area, uh, 50 50 miles or so uh, from Burns, Oregon. And that's kind of the society we live in today. People don't take the time to learn the facts. Uh, They get parcel information, they get propaganda, they get erroneous information, and then they go off half-cocked. I heard Marco Rubio uh, say that he disagreed with uh, what they're doing out there in terms of the the takeover of that uh, vacant building, by the way. And I thought, yeah, he's a typical, you know, bureaucrat. He's a typical status quo. These individuals that took this over uh, know that the system does not work for them anymore. The Constitution is continually violated. And I harken back to the Declaration of Independence, which I oftentimes do. And that part that says, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And it it goes on to say that, um, you know, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government to provide new guards for their future security. 
It also talks about in the Declaration of Independence how all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms uh, to which they are accustomed. And it goes on to list, as you know, this, this, this long train of abuses by the federal government. One of the abuses at the time, it says here, um, enlarging its boundaries. One of, its saying, one of, one of the uh, other grievances is uh, they sent out their officers to harass our people in the counties, uh, in the colonies, I should say. And that's kind of what's going on here. So let me get into the, uh, the history of this whole area. And like I said, it's important. This is the kind of person that I am. I go back, I hear these situations, I say, let me go back and find out what the hell is going on here. I don't care what CNN has to say about it. I don't care what Fox News has to say about it. I don't care what the New York Times and the Washington Post have to say about it. I want to find out the history, and I have not seen any of those sources, not one, go back to the 1870s when this area was settled and bring people up to speed and they'll demonstrate how we got to where we are today with finally somebody stood up and pushed back against the federal government. Why do we have a Bureau of Land Management? That agency should be abolished. It's one of the many others that I've talked about. This alphabet soup of federal agencies that does nothing but send out its officers to harass people. The Bureau of Land Management. If you look at a map of federally owned land west of the Mississippi, it's a color-coded map. It's in red, land owned by the federal government. Practically the entire western portion of the United States of America west of the Mississippi is land owned by the federal government. Why does the federal government own land outside of Washington, D.C.? That's the only area that the Bureau of Land Management should be worried about. The public spaces in the federal district, the federal district, not the state of Arizona, not the state of Nevada, not the state of California, not the state of Colorado, the District of Columbia. But you see, it's another one of those examples of this overreaching, overbearing federal government that is intruding more and more into our lives. This air, this issue out in, in Burns, Oregon, is really an issue about private property. And if you're going to stand here and tell me that you're a conservative, you believe in the Constitution, you support private property rights, which is the hallmark of our democracy, by the way, here in the United States, we respect private property. The framers respected private property. Most of the Bill of Rights centered around private property, Fourth Amendment, unreasonable searches and seizures had to do with private property. So I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen closely uh, as to what went on, and then we'll, not, then we'll go back to January 4th when this thing happened. Whereas all you're going to get if you turn on that idiot box called the TV or pick up that propaganda piece uh, known as the New York Times, you're going to get their version minus any of the history of this, this area. Anyway, this is an open source briefing that I got. So this is available. There's nothing uh, sensitive in here that I'm going to share with you. 
The Harney Basin, where the Hammond Ranch is established, Hammond is the family that's in dispute uh, with the federal government right now, was, was settled in the 1870s. The valley was settled by multiple ranchers and was known to have run over 300,000 head of cattle. These ranchers developed a state-of-the-art irrigation system to water the meadows, and it soon became a favorite stopping, stopping place for migrating birds on their annual trek north. In, eight, in 1908, President Theodore Roosevelt, in a political scheme, created an Indian reservation around the Malheur Mud and Harney Lakes and declared it as a preserve and breeding ground for native birds. Later, this Indian reservation, without Indians, by the way, became the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. In 1964, the Hammonds, that's the family, purchased their ranch in the Harney Basin, 1964. They, their purchase included about 600,000 acres of private property for their uh, cattle. By the 1970s, nearly all the ranchers adjacent to the Blitzen Valley were purchased by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. That's going to be important later on, ladies and gentlemen. And it was added to the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. The expansion of the refuge grew in surroundings and, and surrounds to the Hammond Ranch, um, so this area grew. Being approached many times by the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Hammonds refused to sell. That was their mistake, uh, according to the federal government. Other ranchers also choose not to sell. During the 1970s, the Fish and Wildlife Service, in conjunction with the Bureau of Land Management, took a different approach to get the ranchers to sell. And we'll pick up from there. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off on the history of this whole situation out in Burns, Oregon. This takeover of a vacant building and a, uh, a wildlife uh, refuge on federal land. And I, I misspoke in the uh, first segment about this long train of abuses by the federal government. I meant to say King George and the, uh, the crown, but uh, today, fast forwarding it, there's not much difference. So getting back here to the history, we're going to do this my way, the right way, so that you can uh, make a decision as to whose side you're on out in uh, Burns, Oregon, based on the history of this situation. Ranchers were told that grazing was detrimental to wildlife and must be reduced. 32 out of the 53 permits were revoked and many ranchers were forced to leave. Grazing fees were raised significantly for those who were allowed to remain. Refuge personnel took over the irrigation system, claiming it as their own. Refuge personnel, by the way, are federal officers. By 1980, a conflict was well on its way over water allocation on the adjacent property uh, owned um, Sylvie's Plain. The FWS, the Sufficient Wildlife Service, wanted to acquire the ranch lands on the Sylvie's Plain to add to their already vast holdings. By the 1990s, the Hammonds were one of the very few ranchers that still owned private property adjacent to the refuge. In the early 1990s, the Hammonds filed on a livestock water source and obtained a deed for the water right 
from the state of Oregon. When the Bureau of Land Management and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service found out that the Hammonds obtained new water rights near the, the Malheur uh, Wildlife Refuge, they were agitated and became belligerent and vindictive toward the Hammonds. The Fish and Wildlife Service challenged the Hammonds' right to the water in an Oregon state court. The court found that the Hammonds legally obtained rights to the water in accordance to state law. More rights for the states that I support. And therefore, the use of the water belongs to the Hammonds. In August of 1994, Bureau of Land Management and Fish and Wildlife Service illegally began building a fence around the Hammonds' water source. Owning the water rights and knowing that their cattle relied on that water source daily, the Hammonds tried to stop the building of the fence. The BLM and Fish and Wildlife Service called the Harney County Sheriff's Department, and they had Dwight Hammond, the father, arrested and charged with disturbing and interfering with federal officials or federal contracts, two counts, each a felony. The Fish and Wildlife Service also began restricting access to upper uh, pieces of the Hammonds' private property, In order to get to the upper part of the Hammonds Ranch, they had to go on a road that went through the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. Shortly after the road and water disputes, the BLM and Fish and Wildlife Service arbitrarily revoked the Hammonds upper grazing permit without any given cause, court proceeding, or court ruling. As a traditional fence-out state, Oregon requires no obligation on the part of an owner to keep his or her wild stock within a fence or maintain control over the movement of the livestock. The Hammonds intend to still use their private property for grazing. However, they were informed that a federal judge ruled in a federal court that the federal government did not have to observe the Oregon fence-out law. Quote in the ruling, those laws are for the people, not for them. (laughs) Typical federal government. Those laws are for the people, not for the government. The Hammonds were forced to either build and maintain miles of fences or be restricted from the use of their private property. Cutting their ranch in almost half, they could not afford to fence the land so the cattle were removed. The Hammonds experienced many years of financial hardship due to the ranch being diminished. The Hammonds had to sell their ranch and home in order to purchase another property that had enough grass to feed their cattle. This property included two grazing rights on public land. So see, they're trying to do the right thing. This New property included two grazing rights on public land. Those were also arbitrarily revoked later. In the early fall of 2001, Stephen Hammond called the fire department, informing him that he was going to be performing a routine prescribed burn on their ranch. Later that day, he started that uh, prescribed fire on on their private property. The fire ended up going on to public land and burned 127 acres of grass. The Hammonds put out the fire themselves. Prescribed fires are a common method that Native Americans and ranchers have used in the area to increase the health and productivity of the lands for many centuries. In 2006, a massive lightning storm started multiple fires that joined together, inflaming the countryside. To prevent the fire from destroying their winter range and possibly their home, Stephen Hammond, the son, started a backfire on their private property. The backfire was successful in putting out the lightning fires, that had covered thousands of acres within a short period of time. The backfire saved much of the range and vegetation needed to feed the cattle through the winter. The next day, federal agents went to the Harney uh, Harney County Sheriff's Office and filed a police report making accusation against Dwight and Stephen Hammond 
for starting the backfire. A few days after the backfire, a range con from the Burns District uh, BLM office asked Stephen if he would meet him in town for coffee. Stephen accepted. When leaving, he was arrested by the Harney County uh, Sheriff's Office and the uh, BLM uh, ranger. The Harney County District Attorney reviewed the accusation, evidence, and charges and determined that the accusations against Dwight and Stephen Hammond did not warrant prosecution and dropped all the charges. In 2011, 11, this is a continued harassment by the federal government. In 2011, five years after the police report was taken, the U.S. Attorney's Office accused Dwight and Stephen Hammond of completely different charges. They accused them of being terrorists under the Federal Anti-Terrorism Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. This act carries a maximum sentence of five years in prison. I'm sorry, a minimum sentence of five years in prison and a maximum sentence of death. Think about this. This is, it's profound and it's unfathomable that something like this could go on. So then they have to go through all these court proceedings. You know what that does. The federal government just bleeds you to death. They know that you do not have all of the resources to continue to take them on. So back to the story here. On January 4th, 2013, Dwight and Stephen reported to prison because on June 22nd, the year before, Dwight and Stephen were found guilty of starting both the fires in 2001 and 2006 by a jury. However, the federal courts convicted both as terrorists under the 1996 Anti-Terrorism Act. The judge in the case sentenced the father, Dwight, to three months in prison, and Stephen, the son, to 12 months in federal prison. Sometime in June of 2014, Rhonda Carge's field manager for the BLM and her husband, they, uh, along with an attorney, Frank Papagani, exemplifying further vindictive behavior, filed an appeal with the Ninth District Federal Court seeking Dwight and Stevens' return to federal prison for the entire five years because they went to prison and served the term and they were released in January of 2014. So then these federal people go back because they wanted to bring the hammer. So in October of 2015, the Ninth District Court resentenced Dwight and Stephen, requiring them to return to prison for several more years. During the court proceeding, the Hammonds were forced to grant the, the Bureau of Land Management first right of refusal. If the Hammonds ever sold their ranch, they'd have to sell it to the BLM. So, on uh, uh, January 4th of 2016, which was uh, last week, they showed up and reported to begin their resentencing. To date, they have paid $200,000 to the BLM, and the remaining $200,000 must be paid before the end of the year 2015. If the Hammonds cannot pay the fines to the BLM, they will be forced to sell their rents to the BLM or face further prosecution. We'll be right back. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stew. 
know, like if I'm going to a dating, I generally have been attracted in my life, typically, to white people. The, how can we be in the same room? Did with you, you hear that? I, I said generally. I hear the racism. No, I, I just said generally speaking. I mean, I've said many attractive. You admitted that we're on the air. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Now, folks, we can have an intelligent conversation. We can have an informed conversation because now you're up to speed as to what happened. Going back to the 1870s, near Burns, Oregon. And after listening to that series of events, how can you claim to be a freedom-loving, conservative a believer in the Constitution of the United States, the Founding Fathers, the Framers, the Declaration of Independence, and not be on the side of the Hammonds and their family right now. How? Explain it to me. I don't really care whose side you're on. I know whose side I'm on. And I know there are a lot of people on the right who are their stomach can't handle this kind of stuff. This is sometimes a bridge too far. When we start talking about patriots taking a stand, like the signers of the Declaration of Independence, that I'm holding in my hand. The action of Second Continental Congress, July 4, 1776. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, and whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people, it is their duty to alter or abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. This is not once upon a time. That's somehow, sometimes how we treat these documents. The Declaration and the Constitution, especially this current administration, is lawlessness. King George, King Barack. It's as if these documents were just once upon a time. If we lose hold of these documents that are the foundation of the, 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 the very country that we love and live in today, and we're done as a republic. We'll be something else, but we won't be a republic. We will not be a constitutional republic. We will have retrogressed back into the early 1700s under King George and Great Britain. Nothing more than subjects to the monarchy. Not citizens, subjects. Is that what you want? It's not what I want. When are we going to have that pitches, pitchforks, and torches moment? When are we going to have it? 
Or are we going to sit around and just wait for the next election? And oh, if we can just get a Republican in the White House, this will all be righted. No, it won't. As this document says, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. That's all we're doing right now. Don't kid yourself. What are you willing to do about this? I know what the people out in Burns, Oregon are willing to do. That small band of patriots. And like I said, people on the right, well, oh, let's, you know, sit down and let's work this out. There's no working anything out with this federal government. We're $18 trillion in debt and rising. The Congress just passed an omnibus spending bill of $1.2 trillion, which funded all of Barack Obama's priorities. I'm through waiting for the next election. I will continue to vote, but if you think I'm going to sit around waiting for that, thinking that's going to be that magic moment, then you don't know the people's sheriff. I'm through with that. And that's why I back the Hammonds in this situation. I don't want it to come to armed conflict against the federal government. First of all, the federal government should stand down on this. Just get out of there. And that the state of Oregon did not come to the defense of one of its citizens is a travesty. And that that county sheriff didn't stick up for the Hammonds in this situation against this overbearing, overreaching federal government and his land grab? It's a travesty. Somebody had to do something. So this 100 or so group of People got together coming from different parts of the country. I heard that brought up. Well, they're not even from the state of Oregon. Who cares? I'm not from the state of Oregon either, but I'm a citizen of the United States. And the Constitution transcends state boundaries. Maybe if the state of Oregon and its officials and its political class and its sheriff had done something for the Hammond family, Maybe people wouldn't have to have come from afar to stick up for principle. Do we ever think about this stuff in this fashion? Again, knowing what you know now and having been brought up to speed, are you willing to pick up your pitchfork and grab your torch? I don't mean physically. You don't have to go out there. But gosh darn it, when you hear these people, these talking heads, these pundits, these political elites, these media elites, try to treat the Hammonds as a bunch of buffoons who need to be in prison and you don't push back on the blogs, on talk radio, you don't call your congressman and congresswoman 
Tell them to shut down the Bureau of Land Management. Tell them to defund it right now. That's how Congress can act. Cut off all funding to the Fish and Wildlife Service. You know what? The states will do fine preserving the wildlife. They don't need the federal government to do it. And the Bureau of Land Management to be abolished. But defund it right now. Right now. Draft a bill. Cutting off all funding to the Bureau of Land Management. Until this madness stops. I'm just afraid this will be a squandered opportunity. To stare down Barack Obama, to stare down the political elite in Washington, D.C., because it isn't just Barack Obama. Don't forget, Barack Obama did not create the Bureau of Land Management. Barack Obama did not create the EPA. He did not create the Department of Education, the Department of Labor. Bureaucrats in Washington did. So that's why I said, forget about the next election. This transcends all of that. It's worse than that. The Bureau of Land Management was around when Ronald Reagan was president. You know, if you want to have an honest conversation here, this is not about Democrats and Republicans. That's my point. It's about the political class. All of them. Both of them. Both sides. Again, this is one of those, what are you going to do about it moments. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. It's going to cost heroes being buried in Arlington National Cemetery. The only thing left that we can give them? Yeah, because of Obama. Under Hillary Clinton, who must not who cannot be elected. There is no more America if Clinton wins, because under her, it will be worse. Jay Severin, weekdays 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In this final segment, I want you to hear what David French, writer for the National Review, has to say about the situation. You know, I admire him, his thinking, his thought process. He's a brilliant writer, among other things. But I defer to the way that um, he can articulate some of this stuff, and I want you to hear this. From the National Review, the case for civil disobedience in Oregon. Watching the news yesterday, a person could be forgiven for thinking that a small group of Americans had literally lost their minds. Militias are marching through Oregon on behalf of convicted arsonists? A small band of armed men has taken over a federal building? The story practically writes itself. Or does it? Deranged militiamen spoiling for a fight against the federal government make for good copy. But what if they're right? What if the government viciously and unjustly prosecuted a rancher family so as to drive them from their land. Then protests, including civil disobedience, 
would be not just understandable, but moral and maybe even necessary. Ignore for a moment the hashtag Oregon under attack, a rallying cry for leftists accusing the protesters, the protesters of terrorism, and the liberal media's self-satisfied cackling. Read the court documents in the case that triggered the protests and the accounts of sympathetic ranchers. What emerges is a picture of a federal agency that will use any means necessary, including abusing federal anti-terrorism statutes to increase government land holdings. The story is told by protesters because not with the federal criminal case against Stephen and Dwight Hammond, but many years earlier with the creation and expansion of the Mulhewer National Wildlife Refuge, a tract of federal land set aside by President Theodore Roosevelt as a preserve and breeding ground for native birds. The federal government has since expanded the preserve in part by buying adjacent private land. Protesters allege that when private landowners refused to sell, the federal government got aggressive, diverting water during the 1980s into the rising Mulhewer Lakes. Eventually, the lakes flooded. Homes, corrals, barns, and grazed land all went under. Ranchers who were broken, destroyed, then begged the government to buy their useless ranches. By the 1990s, the Hammonds were among a few private landowners who remained adjacent to the refuge. The protesters alleged that the government then began a campaign of harassment designed to force the family to sell its land, a beginning with barricaded roads and arbitrarily revoked grazing permits and culminating in an absurd anti-terrorism prosecution based largely on two arsons that began on private land but spread to the refuge. While arsons might sound suspicious to urban ears, suspicious to urban ears, anyone familiar with land management in the West, to a lesser degree in the rural South and Midwest, knows that land must sometimes be burned to stop the spread of invasive species and prevent or fight destructive wildfires. Indeed, the federal government frequently starts its own fires, and protesters allege, with video evidence, that these burns often spread into private land, killing and injuring cattle and damaging private property. Needless to say, no federal officers are ever prosecuted. The prosecution of the Hammonds revolved mainly around two burns, one in 2001 and another in 2006. The government alleged that the first burn was ignited to cover up evidence of poaching and place a teenager in danger. The Hammonds claimed that they started it to clear an invasive species, as is their legal right. Whatever its intent, the fire spread from the Hammonds' property and ultimately ignited 139 acres of public land. But the trial judge found that the teenager's testimony was tainted by age and bias and that the fire had merely damaged juniper trees and sagebrush, damage that might total $100 in value. The other burn was trifling. Here's how the Ninth Circuit described it. In August of 26, a lightning storm kindled several fires near where the Hammonds grew their winter feed. Stephen responded by attempting to backburn near the boundary of his land. Although a burn ban was in effect, Stephen did not seek a waiver. His fire burned about an acre of public land. In 2010, almost nine years after the 2001 burn, the government filed a 19-count indictment against the Hammonds that included charges under the Federal Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, which mandates a five-year prison term for anyone who maliciously damages or destroys or attempts to damage or destroy by means of fire or an explosive any building, vehicle, or other personal or real real property 
in whole or in part owned or possessed by or leased to the United States. At trial, the jury found the Hammonds guilty of maliciously setting fire to public property worth less than $1,000, acquitted them of all the other charges, and deadlocked on the government's conspiracy claims. While the jury continued to deliberate, the Hammonds and the prosecution reached a plea agreement in which the Hammonds agreed to waive their appeal rights and accept the jury's verdict. It was their understanding that the plea agreement would end the case. At sentencing, the trial court refused to apply the mandatory minimum sentence, holding that five years in prison would be grossly disproportionate to the severity of the offenses, and that the Hammonds fires could not have been conduct intended to be covered under the Anti-Terrorism Act. When you say you know what if, um, what if you burn sagebrush in the suburbs of Los Angeles, where there are houses up in the ravines, that might apply. Out in the wilderness here, I don't think that's the Congress intended. It was what Congress intended. And in addition, it just would not be would not meet any idea I have of justice proportionality. It would be a sentence which would shock the conscience to me. That's language from by the judge from the at the sentencing. Thus, he found that the mandatory minimum sentence would, under the facts of this case, violate the Eighth Amendment's prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment. He sentenced Stephen Hammonds to two concurrent prison terms of 12 months and one day, and Dwight to a prison term of three months. They served their sentences without incident or controversy. The federal government, however, was not content to let the matter rest. Despite the absence of any meaningful damage to federal land, the U.S. attorney appealed the trial judge sentencing decision, demanding that the Hammonds return to prison to fill out their full term. Five-year sentence. The case went to the Ninth Court, court circuit, circuit Court of Appeals, and the court ruled against the Hammonds, rejecting their argument that the prosecutor violated the plea agreement by filing an appeal and dismissing the trial court's Eighth Amendment concern. The Hammonds were ordered back to prison. At the same time, they were struggling to pay the $400,000 civil settlement with the federal government, the terms of which gave the government the right of first refusal to purchase the property if they couldn't scrape together the money. There's a clear argument that the government engaged in overzealous, vindictive prosecution here. By no stretch of the imaginations were the Hammonds terrorists. If they were prosecuted under an anti-terrorism statute, the government could have let the case end once the men served their sentence, yet it pressed for more jail time. And the whole time, it held back in its back pocket potential rights to the family's property. To the outside observer, it appears the government had attempted to crush private homeowners and destroy their livelihood in a quest for even more land. If that's the case, civil disobedience is a valuable course of action. By occupying a vacant federal building, protesters can bring national attention to an injustice that would otherwise go unnoticed and unremedied. Moreover, they can bring attention once again to the federal government's more systemic persecution of private landowners. While civil disobedience is justified, violence is not. I'm going to paraphrase some of this as I go on here. The occupation is far less intrusive and disruptive than the Occupy Movement's dirty and violent seizure of urban public parks and authorities permitted that authorities permitted to go on for weeks. They are victims of an all-too-common injustice. He's talking about the Hammonds here. Ranchers and other landowners across the country find themselves chafing under the thumb of an indifferent and even oppressive federal government. Now is the time for peaceful protest. If this gets the public to pay attention, it won't have been in vain. David French. That's all the time we have today. You can follow me during the week on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, or at The People's Sheriff, my website.
Thanks for joining me. God bless you. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.